the Holy Spirit meets with us tonight, unless the Holy Spirit comes upon me, unless the Holy Spirit helps me to be able to uh, preach your word. And Lord, unless the Holy Spirit deals in the hearts of these dear people, we'll be wasting our time. Lord, I pray that the word would minister. pray that we would learn from it, Lord. pray that it would be a blessing to us. Lord, I ask that you help us as we study the last part of this chapter. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're there in Jude, and as we already mentioned, uh, this will be the last sermon in the book of Jude. And Jude is only one chapter, and this is the sixth uh, sermon, I believe, the sixth sermon that we've been in the book of Jude, and we've been going through it slowly, uh, not to bore you and not to, you know, we haven't been covering the same things, but we've been covering a lot of different things. The last three weeks in particular, we've been using verse number uh, 11 as kind of an outline for the last three sermons, although we went through the whole book of Jude and many other passages as well. But if you remember, we saw there, uh, we've been dealing with the subject of false prophets, and that's what Jude has been mainly about, warning us about false prophets. If you remember there, uh, verse number uh, 3 there, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend, the word contend means to fight for the faith, which was once delivered for the, unto the saints. Why? Verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares. And we've been learning about those men that have crept in unawares, those men that came in privately, those, sheep, uh, those wolves in sheep's clothing. And in verse 11, we've been learning about these men from the Old Testament passages. Uh, if you remember these... Three Old Testament passages teach us about modern day false prophets. Verse 11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. If you remember, we studied Cain in the Old Testament, and we went through Jude and Second Peter and saw how false prophets today are very much like Cain, in the sense that they don't really care what God says. God says, I want a certain sacrifice. Cain brought a... Cain actually rejected God's way and brought his own sacrifice. And because of that, the Bible says, God had no respect to Cain, rejected Cain. And we saw how many times false prophets are rejected of God. They are reprobates and they are many times interested in defiling people. And we went through that. Uh, We saw that they have ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Remember that Balaam was uh, for reward. He was motivated by money. He was motivated by by covetousness and compromise. And then last week we saw and they perished in the gainsaying of Korah. And we we, uh, saw Korah in the Old Testament and how he rebelled against Moses and how these false prophets often will creep in unawares to rebel in the church and cause church splits and church problems. Uh, as, we, as we go, and I said all that to say this, pretty much as we've been going through the book of Jude, it's been a very negative type, uh, and what I mean by negative, it's been uh, preaching against false prophets and what's wrong with them and, and how we should know. As we end the chapter in verse number 20, and by the way, we've gone through and hit every single verse up to verse 19. Tonight we'll deal with verses 20-25, and we're kind of hitting the conclusion of the book of Jude, and the conclusion of uh, uh, these last six chapters, they kind of, uh, Jude changes gears, And it's a very different type of conclusion. No longer speaking about false prophets. I want you to notice there's a... Uh, there's uh, six verses there, 20 to 25, and I want you to see this little outline. The the first two verses, 20 and 21, have to deal with closing statements directed at you. And what I mean by directed at you, they're directed towards the reader. 
verses 22 and 23 are clothing statements directed at others. And those that, you know, it's to us, but to keep in mind in regards to others. And then verses 24 and 25 are clothing statements directed towards God, or they're for us to learn about God. And I want you to, uh, I want to go through these quickly tonight and show you uh, these different things. So number one, the closing statements directed at you. If you look at verse 20, the Bible says this, but ye. Now do you see there how it says but ye? And let me show you this by the way. Verse 20 and 21 deal with you. He's saying, but ye, and he's going to begin to give a statement to tell us about us. Look at verse 22. And of some, look at verse 23, and others, okay, so those verses have to do with other people, and how we deal with other people. And then verse 24, now unto him, talking about God, in the next couple verses deal with God, alright? Do you see that outline? So look at verse 20. What are the closing statements directed at us? But ye, beloved, notice what he says. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible says we ought to be praying there in the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to deal a lot with the subject of prayer. I preached for over an hour on the subject of prayer on Sunday morning. So we've covered that well for this week. But I want you to notice what the Bible says here. It says, building up. And I want you to see that next word. What's that word say? It says, yourselves. Alright, let's read that together. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. You got to understand this. God wants you to build up yourself. Now keep your finger there in Jude. Obviously that's the text for tonight. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Now, uh, if I were you, I would put a bulletin or a ribbon or something. We're going to be going a lot tonight to 1 and 2 Corinthians. So keep your finger somewhere or a ribbon or something close to those books. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And I want you to see this, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And I, and I want to make the statement, and I want, you to, I want you to understand the spirit in which I'm making the statement. And if you're taking notes tonight, I, I don't know, you may want to write the statement down, it's not that profound. But you've got to understand this, okay? Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3? Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, for we are laborers together with God. Now notice what it says. Ye are God's husbandry. And I want you to notice the last phrase of verse number 9. Ye are God's building. God is working on you. And God is building you. Now you need to understand this, okay? Because we're going to talk about it towards the end of the Bible study tonight. But you you need to get this in your mind. God loves you. But God does not necessarily like you. Does that make sense? God loves you. But that doesn't mean He likes you. That doesn't mean He likes the way you are. In fact, the Bible says God loves you, but does not like how you are in your present state. And God says, I love you, but I'm going to be building you. I'm going to be working on you. Uh, Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians. uh, Go to Ephesians. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then you got the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. These are very well-known verses we use during soul weighing. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 8. These verses, by the way, prove that salvation is not by works. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's why it's not of yourselves, because it's a gift. Not of works. It's not of works because then it wouldn't be a gift. If it was a gift, then you wouldn't have to work for it or earn it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But I want you to understand this. Just because salvation is not of works, doesn't mean that God does not expect you to work. Does that make sense? Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, look what it says, unto good works. You say, I'm not saved by works. Praise God. But God created you, God saved you, you became a new creature in Christ, unto good works. You are His workmanship, which God has before ordained, that we should walk in them. Walk in what? In good works. You see that? God ordained. So you say, well, I'm not saved by works. But when you got saved, God ordained. God has already have a plan. He's got good works. He has things He wants you to do. But notice, ye are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. He is working on you. Go to Philippians chapter number 2. Ephesians, the very next book, is the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2. Now you got to understand this, okay? Many people go to Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 12, and they'll try to preach a work salvation. Notice what it says. Philippians chapter number 2, verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look what it says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now people point at that and say, See, you've got to work for your, for your uh, salvation. Now hold on a second. Does that say work to be saved? It says, work out your own salvation. Look, you've already got it. It's your own salvation. But he says, once you have it, I want you to work it out. I want you to work on it. Look, you already have the salvation. You already have the new man. You already have the new creation. But God says, okay, you're saved. Praise God. But you got to understand this. Salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. Do you understand that? You know, we get this idea. Well, you know, I went on this long journey and God finally saved me. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. God says, okay, you have salvation. Now let's work on it. You have salvation. Now let's build it. It's not that we're working to get saved. But once you are saved, God says, you are my building. You are my workmanship. God says, I'm working. I preordained for you to work, uh, to walk work. Now you would say this. Well, why does God want me to work? Why does God want me to change? Why does God? You got to understand this. God loves you, but He doesn't necessarily like you. God wants you to change. God wants you to be different. He says, I love you, but I saved you to do something else with you than what you're currently doing. Now you got to understand this, okay? Go, go, go back to Jude. Look at, look at the verse again. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves. You say, well, hold on a second. Is God working on me? Go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Look at verse 9 again. God is working on you. But you got to understand this. God is not working on you by Himself. God expects you to take part in the work. It says, building up yourselves. So, well, is God doing it or not? Are you there in 1 Corinthians 3? Look at verse 9 again. For we are laborers together with God. Are you, God's working on me. No, you're both working on you. God is working with you on you. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. God says, hey, will you come along and work along? 
alongside me. I've got a job for you. Will you do a job with me? God, God says, I want you to labor. I want you to co-labor. I want you to partner up with me on this project. You say, God, what is the project? And He says, it's you. We're working on you. Building up yourselves and your most holy faith. Now look, you've you got to understand this, okay? Nothing, you know, the, our world likes to teach the, the theory, the joke of evolution. Now, what does evolution teach? This is what evolution teaches. It teaches things get better by themselves. You know, you know, this little like organism turned into a fish, which turned into a monkey, which turned into a human, and then we're going to turn into like these, you know, I don't know, gods or something. And just things get together, get, get better. Let me ask you a question. Do things get better just by themselves? When you leave something by itself, does it get better? Does it even maintain? Look, everything gets worse if someone's not working on it. You want proof? Go look at my backyard. <laughs> Nothing gets better on its own. Nothing even maintains on its own. Everything's in the process of getting worse. My car needs maintenance. Why? Because it's getting worse. My house needs maintenance. Why? Because it's getting worse. My backyard needs maintenance. Why? Because it's getting worse. It doesn't even maintain on its own. Everything's in a constant state of decay. That's a scientific rule. Amen. And by the way, so are you. Say physically, but so are you spiritually. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I'm right here and I don't want to move, I don't want to change. Look, you're either getting better or you're getting worse, but you're not maintaining. Because if you're not working on yourself, you're, all, you're getting worse. And God expects you to work on yourself. God wants you to build yourself. We constantly need to have it ever before us. Look, the only way your life is going to get better, the only way your situation is going to get better, your finances will not get better if you do absolutely nothing. It doesn't work that way. Do you understand that? Your health is not going to get better. You say, I really, you know, uh, just earlier er, this week, really, my wife and I have been sitting down and uh, preparing the calendar for next year for the church. And I've been looking at my goals that I had for last year and preparing goals for this year. And I'm a very goal-oriented type of guy. And if you're not, you should be. And, uh, and you know, I'll preach about it and, and teach you and stuff about that as we get closer. But I've been looking at these goals. And here's, here's, what, I, here's what you need to understand. Nothing gets better on its own. You, 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 you know, you want to get your health better, you want to get your finances better, you want your family better, your relationship better, your job better, your business better, you're going to have to get to work on it. And just wishing that it'll, it's not going to happen. You know, I was looking at my goals, and, I was, and this is what I was looking at. My goals for 2013. I was, and I have, you know, I have spiritual goals, physical goals, financial goals, family goals. I mean, I've got every goal you can think of. Now I was looking at, at my goals for 2013. I'll be honest with you. My financial goals were not met for 2013. But I'm doing a whole lot better right now than I was this time last year. See, you can you say, well, you didn't reach your goal. But if you reach at nothing, you'll always hit it. If you attempt nothing, you'll always accomplish nothing. But if you attempt to do something, if you attempt to build something, you say, well, I didn't reach that. But you'll do more. Look, your life, in your life, you must be working on yourself. Let me ask you a question, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but ask yourself, what are you doing in your life to make yourself better? Because most people are just drifting through life. Most people are just going through life. Most people are just waking up, doing whatever they do that day, going to sleep, and before they know it, a week's gone by, a month's gone by, and a decade's gone by, and a lifetime's gone by, 
with your life. Work on yourself. What are you doing? Let me ask you, what are you doing to make sure that you are more spiritual next month than you are this month, or next year than you are this year? What are you doing to get your finances better? What are you doing to get your job situation better? What are you doing to get your health better? What are you doing to build yourself up? Nothing gets better on its own. And you got to understand that life is a result. I heard a preacher say this. I, I heard this recently. Whatever life you're living right now is a result of your choices. Whatever your finances look like right now, it's a result of your choices. Whatever your family life looks like right now, it's a result of choices that you've made. Whatever your spiritual life, your whatever, whatever you have that you think, I don't like how this is in life, it's a result of your choices. But you know what? The beautiful thing is that you are becoming what you are today. If you don't like what the future holds for you, the beautiful thing is you can change that right now. Based on the choices you make today, your future could be better. I wish I, wish I had the skills or the, the, the ability to just get this into your head. You must make choices. God expects you to build on yourself. And right now it's a perfect time to be thinking, as, as we're ending the new year and beginning a new one, it's a perfect time to be thinking, what am I doing to build myself what am I doing to make myself better? And if your answer is this, nothing, then you will be worse. You will be a worse Christian this time next year if you have no goals and seek to do nothing. Your finances will be worse this time next year if you seek to do nothing. Your business will be worse this time next year if you seek to do nothing. You must be constantly building yourself, the Bible says. And God can help you with that. Go back to Jude. The Bible says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost verse 21 keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life now I want you to see this okay keep yourselves in the love of God we, we have a generation of liberal churches today they, they want to, all they want to preach about is love don't talk to me about the law. Don't talk to me about the commandments. I just want to talk. I just want you to talk to me about the love of God. You got to understand this, okay? There is a direct correlation between the love of God and the commandments of God. Amen. Jesus Christ said, "If ye love me, keep my commandments." Amen. You say, "I love Jesus." Do you keep any of His commandments? No, I just love Him. Well, according to Jesus, you don't love Him because He says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Go to 1 John chapter number 2. You're there in Jude, just a few pages before that. You got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st John chapter number 2. Look at verse 5. Pastor Jimenez, you preach too much about keeping the law. Why don't you preach about love? When I preach about keeping the love, the law, I'm teaching you how to love. There is a direct correlation between the law and the commandments. 1st John 2, 5. But whoso keepeth his word, talking about the word of God, Whoso keepeth his word in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Say, I want the love of God perfected. Then keep his word. 1 John 5, 3. 1 John 5, 3. Look what the Bible says. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. You say, I want to love God. How do I stay in the love of God? How do I keep myself in the love of God? Keep His commandments, you'll keep yourself in the love of God. 
Because to love God, to love Jesus, is to keep His commandments. Look, I, I wish, you know, I wish I could preach to you a fluffy sermon about love and make you feel nice. But when I study love in the Bible, here's what I keep finding. God's saying, keep my commandments, keep my commandments. Jude is talking to these Christians. He's been talking about false prophets. He's talking about that. He said, let me give you some advice. Build yourself up. Keep yourself in the love of God. He said, work on yourself and keep God's commandments. Those are the closing statements directed at you. But notice, go back to Jude. Then there are closing statements directed at others. Look at verse 22. And of some have compassion. And of some have compassion. Now keep your finger there in Jude. Go go to Matthew real quickly. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we not called to be like Jesus Christ? The ministry of Jesus Christ. If you could use a word to describe it, it would be the word compassion. Matthew chapter number 14 and verse number 14. And Jesus went forth, Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. And notice what it says. And was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Now I want you to understand this, okay? He saw the multitude. I love this wording. He was moved with compassion. It doesn't just say he had compassion. I mean, he was physically moved with compassion. He saw the multitude. He was moved with compassion. And I want you to notice what it says there. He healed their sick. Okay, go to Matthew 15. Look at verse 32. Matthew 15, verse 32. Matthew 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting unless they faint in the way and his disciples say unto him whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill this great multitude and Jesus said unto them how many loaves have ye and they said seven and a few fishes and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and fishes and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude and they did all eat and were filled and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets full I want you to see this he saw the need he had compassion and then he did something about it Matthew chapter number 20, look at verse 34. Matthew chapter number 20, verse 34. Matthew 20 and verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed Him. Go to uh, Mark chapter number 1. Matthew, Mark chapter number 1. Look at verse 41. Mark chapter number 1, verse number 41. Mark 1, 41. The Bible says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth His hands, and touched them, and saith unto Him, I will be thou clean. Go to Mark chapter number 5. Look at verse 19. Mark chapter number 5 and verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and have had compassion on thee. Go to Mark chapter number 6. The last one I'll have you look at. Mark chapter number 6. Look at verse 34. Mark 6, 34. 
And Jesus, when He was come out, saw the multitude and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and He began to teach them many things. I want you to understand this, okay? Jesus saw these people. He saw that they were as sheep, having no shepherd. They were without direction. They had nobody teaching them. They had had no clue what to do. They were just roaming around through life. And when He saw them, He had compassion on them. You gotta understand, compassion is always towards someone else. And compassion is to love that individual, is to feel the need, is to understand the need that that person has. But you gotta understand this, okay? Go back to Jude. Look what it says. Verse 22. And of some have compassion, but look, having compassion is not just having butterflies in your stomach and saying, man, I really love that person. Notice, with compassion, there always comes this, making a difference. Jesus did not just look at the multitude and say, I move with compassion. Okay guys, let's go get lunch. No. The Bible says He moved with compassion and then He always met their need. You know, in some instances it was feeding them. In other instances it was healing them. In other instances it was teaching them. But He made a difference in their lives. Let me ask you a question. Are you making a difference in anyone's life? Now how do I know if I'm making a difference in anyone's life? Let me make it more clear. Is anyone's life different as a result of you? Well, I don't know how to make a difference. Open your eyes. Go out in the community. Go out with a soul in it. Knock on the doors of these people. Look, you, we can see people in our community that are rowing around like a sheep, having no shepherd, that have no direction, that have no clue what they're doing. They are wasting their life, and they just need someone to love them and go to them and pray for them and teach them. And maybe it means feed them. Maybe it means help them. Maybe it means teach them. But we ought to have compassion and not just have compassion and say, Oh man, I was really moved by that sermon, Pastor. Oh man, I really love my neighbor. Go out and make a difference. Do something. Help them. He says, and, I'm not, and I'm some have compassion. Making a difference. He said, well, where do I start? Well, you can start by this. Look at verse 23. And others save with fear. Let me ask you another question. Has anybody been saved as a result of you? Is anybody on their way to heaven because you shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Pastor Jimenez, I don't really agree with you guys knocking on people's doors and telling them that they're going to go to hell and they need to accept Jesus Christ. Aren't you trying to scare them into heaven? I'd rather scare someone into heaven than gently let them go to hell. Look at what it says. And others save with gentleness. It says and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Do you understand? Okay, go, go to John. Just real quick. John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Sometimes I, I, you know, you you preach sermons like this and and I I even get worried if our people are even saved. I mean, are you even saved? Do you understand what hell is? Do you understand that people that do not hear the gospel will spend eternity in hell? Are you there in John chapter 3? Look at verse 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Hopefully that's you. Hopefully you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not condemned. But you need to understand this. 
But he that believeth not... Are you there in John 3? Look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not will one day be condemned. Is that what it says? He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not one day may go to hell. Is that what it says? He that believeth on him is not condemned. Here's what it says. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You got to understand this. The lost people out there, they're not going to one day go to hell. They're already condemned to hell. The wrath of God is already upon them. All they need to do is quit breathing. And there's already a cell in hell with their name on it. And when you and I go out and preach the gospel, and you and I go out and knock on doors, and you and I go out and catch someone and say, we're literally pulling them out of the fire. We're making a difference. But see, you cannot do that unless you open your eyes and have compassion on them. So well, why don't we have compassion? Because most of us are just focused on ourselves. You say, Pastor, should I not be focused on myself? You should be focused on yourself. Building up yourselves, remember? But your life ought to be focused on you and your life ought to be focused on others. Go back to Jude. Look what it says. Verse 22, And if some have compassion... Making a difference. And others save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garments fired by the flesh. And let me, let me say this. I don't say this often. I don't say this often because sometimes you say things and people just take it too far. You know what I mean? You don't, you know, the Bible teaches that we ought to do personal evangelism and corporate evangelism. Both are found in Scripture. Jesus did both. His disciples did both. So what does that mean? That means all of them went out as a corporate group, as a church. They went out to witness. And all of them in their own personal lives decide, you know, taught people. Okay? We ought to do both. See, I, I talk to people in my life, but I don't want to go out with you guys. That's so weird. Well, you're not doing what the Bible says. Well, I'm only going to go out with you guys, but I'm not going to talk to my friends and neighbors because that's weird. Well, you're not doing what the Bible says. You ought to do both. But let me say something. If you're only going to do one, will you at least do one? What I'm upset about is the fact that most Christians don't want to do any. Most Christians don't want to talk about Jesus to anyone. Most Christians don't want to tell... And look, I'm here to tell you, if your friend or neighbor or family member or co-worker is not saved, they will not one day go to hell. The Bible says they are condemned already. And it is our job to have compassion make a difference, pulling them out of the fire. And you got to understand this. The Bible says, look at the last part of verse 23, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now you got to understand this, okay? What are we hating? We're hating the flesh so much that even the garment that's spotted by the flesh is hated by us. Say, are we supposed to hate our flesh? Let, let me explain something to you. Your number one enemy is you. I thought my number one enemy was Satan. No, your number one enemy is you. I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but you know, Satan's spending his time on people like the Apostle Paul. And maybe you are an Apostle Paul, but I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt any of us are, the, are like the Apostle Paul. Do you understand that Satan himself was attacking the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was doing a huge thing. He said, what, what's keeping me in bondage? You. Your flesh. What's keeping me from building myself up? Your flesh. 
What's keeping me from getting, you know, doing more and making a difference? Your flesh. You've got to understand this. You and I are, are at war with our flesh. Go to Galatians 5. We've we got to do this quick. Look, we're, I'm almost done. I really am. I just got a few verses to show you, but you've got to uh, look at them and, and, and we'll be done. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Galatians 5.16. You know that New Year's resolution you made and you're going to lose all that weight and you're going to get all that money and you're going to do all that stuff? You know what kept you from doing all that? Your flesh. I had this resolution I was going to get up 30 minutes early every day and go work out. I didn't get up early. Why? Because your flesh didn't want to. Your biggest enemy is you. Galatians 5.16. Look what it says. Galatians 5.16. The Bible says this, I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh... Look what it says. And I, look, I'm not here to I'm not here to mock you or, or make you feel bad. I'm just trying to warn you. We I look, Pastor Jimenez is at war with himself. For the flesh, look what it says, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Pastor Jimenez, I had this plan, I was going to get up and pray for an hour. But I just did it. Why? Well, notice what it says. These are contrary to the things that you would. The things that you want to do, you don't do. Why? Because your flesh is against you. Jesus Christ said, the spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why Paul said, you say, how did Paul have the success he did? Paul got up every day. Well, go, let's just look at it. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Say, so why, why, why was Paul able to accomplish the things that he accomplished in his life? Why was he able to do all the great things that he did? And why was he able to get so many people saved and make such a difference in the lives of the, of the whole world? Why was he able to do that? I'll tell you Paul's secret. 1 Corinthians 15.31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's a secret. Three words. I die daily. Paul woke up every day and said, you know, he, he, I can imagine he, he'd get up and look in the mirror and, and just say to himself, Paul, today you are dead. Today you are dying. Today you are not in control. You need to get up every day and tell your flesh, today you're not in control. Your flesh wants to sleep all day. Tell your flesh, you're not in control today. Your flesh wants to do all sorts of lustful sins and just tell your flesh, you're not in control today. Look, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The way to accomplish much in your life is to die to yourself daily. Jesus Christ said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. See, the life, the Christian life and the life of a successful Christian is a life of self-denial. Your flesh does, you know, let me just, let me just tell you something. Whenever your flesh doesn't want to do something, it's probably the wrong thing to do. Whenever your flesh wants to do something, it's probably the wrong thing to do. Whenever your flesh doesn't want to do something, that's probably the right thing to do. You know what gives me confidence? And, it, and please under, don't take this the wrong way. But you know what gives me confidence? That at Verity Baptist Church, we have music that pleases God. You know what gives me that confidence? Number one complaint I get from first time visitors. Don't like the music. That tells me, must be right. Because <laughs> if people just walked in from the, from the world and said, I love the music, I'd be like, well, what's the problem? What's going on here? I mean, the flag loves it. 
Because your flesh always wants that which is wrong. Your flesh always wants that which is not right. It's funny, but it's true. Is it? Does your flesh want to get on the treadmill or does your flesh want to go to cold soup? I mean, honestly, think about it. Say, I don't want to do that. It's probably the thing you need to do. Our flesh doesn't want to save money. Our flesh wants to spend it. Our flesh doesn't want to get up and read the Bible. Our flesh wants to sleep in. My flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh, look, when it's time for me to pray, I'd rather do anything but pray. That's what my flesh wants. My spirit wants to pray, but my flesh doesn't. Say, so what do you do? Make your flesh do that which it doesn't want to do. By the way, that's what fasting is. Making your flesh do that which it does not want to do. You must come in control of your flesh or you will fail at life, period. Brother Jude. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now look at, look at, we saw the closing statement towards ourselves. We saw the closing statement towards others. Notice the closing statement towards God, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. You know what that tells me? If you fell, it wasn't God's fault. Because God is able to keep you from falling. And present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. That speaks of our Christian life, but you know, that also speaks of eternal security. Let me just, I'll show you one more verse, we're done right here. John chapter number 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 10. John chapter number 10. The Bible says that God is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. John chapter number 10, look at verse 28. John 10, 28. John 10, 28. The Bible says this, And I give unto them, Lord willing, that's you, eternal life, and they shall never perish. People say, ah, you, you're one of those once saved, always saved. You think once somebody saved, they'll always save? According to the Bible, He gave me eternal life. That's life that will last forever. That's life that will never end. And if it ever stops being, then it wasn't eternal. That would make God alive. And I give unto them eternal life. Look, and they shall never perish. Neither, now look, look at this. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You say, why can't anybody pluck me out of their hand? Verse 29. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. See, for someone to say, Oh, I can lose my own salvation by the things that I do. Here's what that person is saying. They're greater than God. Because the Bible says, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's head. Does, does uh, no man, does, does that include you? Does that include me? I had a Pentecostal tell me one time. They said, well, look, when you get saved, it's like you, you became a relationship with God, and it's like you're holding hands. This is what they said to me. It was a cute little illustration. They said, it's like you're holding hands, and you're walking down the road of life, holding hands with God. And I said, well, do you believe you could lose your salvation? They said, well, at any time, you can, lo- you can let go of God's hand. And here's what I said, yeah. But look, when you let go of God's hand, that doesn't mean God lets go of you. Uh-huh. That's right. Well, no, you can, you, can, you can walk away from it, but God doesn't walk away from you. Look what he says. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. 
He's able to keep you. He's able to preserve you. He's able to deliver you. He's going to make sure if you are saved, yeah, it's once you're saved, you're always saved. Praise God. And that's the thought. Go back to Jude. That Jude ends this whole ordeal. Because see, Jude just spent 19 verses scaring the fire out of these people. There are men crept in unawares. They are sensual. They are not. They do not have the spirit. They are this. They are that. They're like Cain. They're like Abel. They're and you know, these people were like, what are we going to do? And he says, here's what you do. Work on yourself. Work on others. And trust that God will deliver you. He said, you'll be fine. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the book of Jude. And Lord, thank you for being able to study that. And Father, I pray that nobody would walk out of here tonight upset or angry with the sermon, but Lord, that we would all realize that God wants to work on us. And God has a work. God has a plan. God has a purpose for each and every one of our lives. Part of it is to build ourselves up. Part of it is to make a difference on others. Father, I pray you'd bless everyone here. And Lord, like we prayed at the beginning of the sermon, I pray that we would not be forgetful hearers like the book of James says. I pray that we would not walk out of here and just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, that was nice. But I pray that we would all take the message to heart and seek in our lives, Lord, that we would answer the questions, what, are, what am I doing to make myself more like Jesus Christ? How am I working on myself? Am I doing anything? Am I, am I doing more Bible reading, more prayer time, more fasting, more church attendance, more consistency, more commitments? What, what am I doing? Lord, I pray you'd help us to consider what are we doing to reach others, to have compassion, to make a difference. Thank you for the book of Jude. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen.